Hey, Lisa, thanks for your Facebook message and for the podcast episode topic suggestion. Here's your episode. Well, why in the world are we opening with Selena? And that's very easy because in this episode, I have one of our brand new attendings and one of our favorite singers is Selena's. Because it's anything for Selena's. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, podcast family, we have not lost our mind. I am on with Dr. Katie Jo Light, who has actually been on our podcast before. And as I've said many times, and I know I'll probably get in trouble, Katie Jo, so good to work with you. You too, Dr. Chapa. It's a blast. So in this episode, we're going to continue the fun and we're going to talk about a super confusing clinical conundrum. So here it is, Katie. We know what to do with a postmenopausal woman. By the way, postmenopausal woman has nothing to do with Selena. Mm, not yet. Not yet. Oh my gosh. It's so distracting doing this with Selena's in the Selena in the background. <laughs> All right, let's do this. We know what to do with a postmenopausal patient who has bleeding, right? I hope so. For sure. That's an easy one. What do we do when we have an asymptomatic postmenopausal patient who gets an ultrasound for some other reason, but then is found to have a thickened endometrial stripe? Well, I'm not sure, but I bet you're about to tell us. No, we're going to tell him. All right, Katie Joe. So, Dr. Light, thanks for being here. We'll get into the message right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is is Clinical Pearls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, Dr. Light, I really think we should explain that a little bit because we do have an international audience, which is wonderful. But if you haven't heard of Selena, she was kind of a big deal, especially here in Texas, which was her home state. But this poor young lady who really started in the uh, Hispanic market, right? She was a, a, a Tejano singer. She was uh, very charismatic, then crossed over to mainstream English music in, in pop uh, contemporary, you know, top 40 kind of uh, uh, vibe. Um, but she was uh, killed by her chief fan, which was terrible, right? That was Yolanda Saldivar. Terrible. I remember when this happened. Uh, this was on March the 31st, 1995, uh, at a little hotel uh, in her hometown. It was just terrible. And so, and we 
don't have if you have not seen the movie selena you really should it was very well done uh anyway just a tragic case of of this poor young woman who had a whole future ahead of her who knows what she would have done but anyway selena continua there you go oh my goodness it's so hard to concentrate after selena it really is i want to go dance you know so when i was in laredo she went and and did a a a little concert there but Man, it's things you take for granted because it was she was still kind of local. Remember, she's from Corpus, not far from Laredo. And they're like, eh, I don't know, some singer. I'm not going to, I don't know. And it was Tejano. I really didn't do, get into Tejano. Um, but I, I could have had that chance. I missed it. Yeah. At least you got to see her. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she was in town. Anyway, what a story. All right, podcast family, let's do what we're going to do. This is actually pretty interesting. One of our podcast family members asked this question. I'm like, it's on our list. So I was going to do this later on, Dr. Light. But as always, I'm like, let's do it now. It, it's it's kind of interesting. And then once we cover it, you're going to see next week, you're, you're going to see somebody like this. Yeah, this is great. I've never really thought about this problem before. Yeah. And I, once you put it out there, you say, oh my gosh, it's, it's a real thing. So, so here it is. But first, before we get to the asymptomatic, super easy, let's cover the easy one. Yeah. And that is the evaluation of endometrial thickness in a postmenopausal patient, but with bleeding. That makes sense. That's easier. Yeah, we've heard of that one before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's do this very quickly, knock it out. All right, so of course, the standard is transvaginal ultrasound, right? TVUS. So transvaginal ultrasound is considered appropriate as the first pass, the initial evaluation for any patient with postmenopausal bleeding. And that, of course, is to assess ET. What's ET? Endometrial thickness. No, endo- extraterrestrial. Oh, my God. Okay, all right. all right. So endometrial thickness, yes. So in this episode, guys, if you ever hear ET or ES then you know where we're going, right? So endometrial thickness, of course, is the maximum at the fattest portion, wherever that is. doesn't have to be at the fundus. The, the fattest anterior to posterior thickness of the endometrial echo in transvaginal view, sagittal, all right? So it's got to be sagittal, transverse. That is, is the definition of your thickest ET portion. And of course, by convention, it is four millimeters. That's considered abnormal. But here it is, Dr. Light. In the presence of postmenopausal vag bleed. And that requires an, a, a sample, some kind of assessment of the endometrial tissue look for pathology. All right. So everybody gets that. That's nothing new. If you're bleeding, the cutoff, it's been around, it's been that for a long time, has been four millimeters. But tell us why that's the case, Dr. Light. Yeah, so ET less than four millimeters has an extremely high negative predictive value. Some say greater than 99% for endometrial cancer, while specificity varies from 42% to 51%. But some recommend an ET cutoff of five millimeters. In a published 2020 meta-analysis by Long et al. in the Journal of Gynecologic Oncology, which included data on 44 studies in over 17,000 women, the authors proposed an ET cutoff of 5 millimeters as optimal for detection of endometrial cancer in patients who had this postmenopausal bleeding. Sensitivity was almost identical for cutoffs of greater than or equal to 3, greater than to equal than 4, and greater than or equal to 5 millimeters with that being about 95 to 96% respectively, and for negative predictive value at about a high 99%. So do you get that? So whether, oh, I choose five millimeters. Oh, I choose four millimeters. Whatever. 
I mean, pick one. They're both evidence-based. The most conservative is four millimeters, but if you actually look at the data, sensitivity for finding EC and endometrial cancer is about the same. As Dr. Light said, all hover around 95 to 96%. The point is, if it's less than that, the negative predictive value, Dr. Light, it's like a ROM plus or an amnesia, right? The value is in the negative. If it's less than that, it's 99% sure that nothing is there. So the short of it is, whether you do four millimeters or five millimeters, number one, be consistent. But number two, pick one. I like four millimeters. Dr. Light, what do you like? I like five, but... Yeah, and again, yeah. and so people argue about that. Well, it's one, it's one millimeter, guys. I mean, mm -hmm. if you sneeze hard, you're going to move that one millimeter. That's why there's a little bit of give here, okay? And this also applies when we talk about the asymptomatic patient. But the short of it is that you've got to do some kind of diagnostic eval at or above four or five millimeters in the symptomatic postmenopausal patient because in these studies, it seems to have a higher rate of some kind of endometrial pathology. It doesn't mean cancer, but some kind of endometrial pathology. Pathology. So four millimeters, five millimeters, tomato, tomato, pick one. Now we need to put transvaginal ultrasound in the proper perspective. So it's not all about TV ultrasound, all right? It's not the end all and definitely not the be all. Let me explain this. The college, so ACOG, does recommend that TV ultrasound be used as initial screening for those with the initial episode of postmenopausal bleeding with those who have a possibility of endometrial cancer that's basically a, a background risk where if you get an ultrasound and is negative, you're comfortable with that. All right, so do y'all get that? ACOG says you can do TV ultrasound as long as the patient is at background risk and it's the initial episode. If she presents five times after life, you can't keep getting an ultrasound. Do y'all get that? So it's risk stratification. So here's what ACOG says specifically verbatim, okay? And here's the clinical pearl. Quote, endometrial sampling should be the first line. Endometrial sampling, not TV ultrasound. For those with postmenopausal bleeding considered at high risk. So if they're 80 with bleeding like a period and they're obese and they had a history of, say, PCOS and they're on tamoxifen. Don't mess, don't wait around for a TV ultrasound. Do you see that? So when people ask you, how do you evaluate postmenopausal bleeding? First answer is, what is their background risk? Are we talking about average and it's their first episode? That's TV ultrasound. But if they are at higher risk, ACOG says don't trust an ultrasound because sometimes things can distort it. Dr. Lai is going to tell us that in just a minute. Things that can, can mess up our ultrasound determination of that stripe. So if you're really worried about it, that's the clinical pearl, get tissue. Make sense? Yeah, like you said, Dr. Chapa, transvaginal ultrasound and getting that endometrial thickness is not always possible or perfect. The ACOG guidelines underline that the presence of uterine pathology, such as fibroids, adenomyosis, or previous uterine surgery, can increase the difficulty of obtaining a measurement of the endometrial echo. In these cases, failure to adequately evaluate the endometrium by ultrasound investigation should always be followed by an alternative method of evaluation like saline or gel-infused sonohysterography or office hysteroscopy. So it's not all the take-home message super easy. It's not all about TV ultrasound. It has a role, but based on patient risk. Fine. That's actually not our focus of our podcast, right? I feel like we need to turn on Celine again. Why not? Never say no to that. <laughs> At the end. Hold on. That's like a treat. Okay, yeah. If we make it to the end of this podcast. Yes, fair enough. All right. <laughs> okay, so that's not our topic. It's not the symptomatic. That's the easy one. It's what do we do for the asymptomatic patient who has the incidental finding of thinking endometrial stripe because you've done a sono for some other reason. So first, we've got to clarify that, okay? If, if they are asymptomatic 
period. There's no pelvic pain. You don't feel a mass. They have no bleeding. Why are you doing a sauna anyway? So just to be clear, there is no international or national gynecological professional society that says do radiological, meaning ultrasound screening for endometrial cancer. It's not a thing. Even on tamoxifen, you don't have to follow them with ultrasound. <gasps> what? No, you wait for them to bleed. I mean, if they got bleeding, you got to assess it. But it's always going to be thick on tamoxifen because tamoxifen jacks up the endometrial line. It looks different. It's actually subendometrial uh, edema, okay, uh, and a little bit of cysts. So I ought to say, if the, in the general population, there is no data that says screen for endometrial cancer. But let's say you get an ultrasound for another reason. So what could those reasons be? We're going to tell you when we come back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So why would a non-bleeding postmenopausal patient get a pelvic sauna in the first place? Yeah. Well, there are a ton of different reasons. In typical practice, many postmenopausal women without vaginal bleeding undergo TVUS as part of routine gynecologic checkup, like to investigate abdominal pain or masses yeah. or to delineate the adnexa when pelvic exam is needed and is inadequate in the office or evaluate a uterus prolapse. But usually transvaginal ultrasound without indication is not recommended. So, in these cases, an incidental finding of endometrial thickening in postmenopausal women without vaginal bleeding represents a real clinical management dilemma. So, what do we do with a thickened endometrial stripe in these cases? And what is thickened anyways? Oh, see, so that's good. Everybody gets bleeding, postmenopausal, it's four or five millimeters. But that's a good question, right? So, I, I, guys, you know, it's not my opinion. There is data, and there's been data that's gone on since I think we one of our first articles that we're going to cover here is 2004. It's been around. There is actually a cutoff. I mean, you can't go, oh, hey, you're 80, your endometrial stripe is 30 millimeters, but you're not bleeding, you'll be fine. That's weird. I mean, what the hell is happening? Oops. What the heck is happening? This is a PG podcast. Yes. Oh, God. Again, if we're, as as Dr. Light knows, I'm always one step away from HR. <laughs> all right. So th the idea is, well, why, why aren't you bleeding? Obviously, all endometrial pathology would bleed. But if you're postmenopausal, here's the catch podcast family, stenosis. They can have stenosis, so they don't have to be bleeding. They, they could, it, it could be trapped, and they could still be asymptomatic. So all to say, back to Dr. Light's question, well, what is thickened anyway? The number seems to hover, just like it did with symptomatic patients, at 4 to 5. This seems to hover at 10 to 11. 10 to 11 millimeters. Remember that. 10 to 11. The first meta-analysis that compared the risk of endometrial cancer in asymptomatic postmenopausal women with this endometrial cutoff of 11 millimeters compared to those under 11 millimeters was in 2018 by Alcazar, all right? Now, this wasn't the first study. This was the first meta-analysis, which means to do a meta-analysis, there must be a bunch of data to, an to analyze. So uh, well, we're going to walk back in just a minute, but this is, you know, I like my systematic reviews and meta-analyses. It's a great way of looking at a lot of data. 
short of it is, the authors looked at the risk of endometrial cancer and found that, holy moly, at 11 millimeters, it was threefold higher than those with an endometrial thickness of 5 to 10. Y'all get that? So threefold higher at 11 millimeters. But they weren't the first to make that cutoff value. Smith and Bindemann in 2004 reported the same thing in the journal Ultrasound in Obstetrics and Gynecology. But this was a theoretical cohort of postmenopausal women, meaning it was basically statistics. They put a bunch of numbers together, said here's our, our simulation cohort. And what is the risk of cancer if we just did population numbers? And they came up with, oddly enough, 11. And at 11 millimeters, the risk of finding endometrial cancer, remember, not not a prospective cord, this is math, right? This is statistics, was 6.7%. 6.7%. That was the same as in women with postmenopausal bleeding at Dr. Light's cutoff of 5 millimeters. Wow, full circle, Dr. Light. Really mm. is. I mean, it, but you see, it's nice when things make sense. So here's the, the final bit of validation for this 11 millimeters. Out of Italia, you like that? Ooh, I love me some spaghetti. Oh, gosh. She got that. I, was gonna, I thought she was going to say the pizza, but she went for the spaghetti. It's good. <laughs> Please don't send us any, again, HR comments. <laughs> so here's the thing. Saccardi, okay, Saccardi et al. out of Italy confirmed that a threshold, here it is, a four millimeters should not be applied to asymptomatic patients. We get that. But more importantly is that Saccardi confirmed the smith Bindum and the Alcazar data, and they found that 11 millimeters, just to be clear, is legit. So it was 100% sensitive for finding cancer and 80% specific for endometrial carcinoma. Damn, those numbers are good. Wow. So it's not my opinion. It's, it's fat, a, a 100% sensitive and 80% specific. For asymptomatic women with endometrial thickness 4 to 10 millimeters, decisions about further investigation should be made on a case-by-case basis, taking into account such risk factors as diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and additional findings on ultrasound. This recommendation has been included in some clinical guidelines, such as the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada and their guidelines. Meanwhile, the ACOG has stated that if an ET measurement greater than four millimeters that is incidentally discovered in a postmenopausal patient without bleeding, there is no evidence to recommend other investigation, quote, although an individualized assessment based on patient characteristics and risk factors is appropriate, end quote. All right. Did y'all get that? So that's a way to cover your spread, right? Oh, greater than four millimeters, they're not bleeding incidental. Don't worry about it. But they don't give you a maximum. And I think that's that's kind of a, 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 a of a cop-out, and then, well, unless there's other risk factors. Well, give an ultimate number. The truth is, and you guys, you all know I'm very ACOG-friendly. I'm not, I'm not getting into that beef at all. I respect the college. But you probably need to give unless it's greater than 11 millimeters because that's where they, they hedge that bet by just saying, although, you know, other risk factors should be assessed. All right, Dr. Light, let's give up some final ideas coming up next. I mean, that's good. I don't care where you live, that's good. <laughs> that is Como la Flor, like the flower from Selena. Dr. Lai, do we have fun? Always have fun. Always have fun. Uh, you know how great it is that we, I spoke yesterday to a student org called American Medical Student Association, AMSA, and we talked about relationships. So I met Dr. Light when she was an intern 
We worked all through internship, all through residency. Now she's a co-attending. And we've got big, big things in store. I do want to include Dr. Lightmore in our episodes. All right, podcast family, you now know what to do with asymptomatic <laughs> postmenopausal patient on endometrial thickness. All right, Dr. Light, say final words. Thanks for listening in. All right, everybody, have a good time. I'm going to leave that in there. All right, Dr. Light, sing it along with us. Here we go, guys. Here it comes. Hold on. Thanks, podcast family. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. 